are listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. I'm Ben Wood, and this is Alicia Wood. This story is a paraphrase from Genesis 11, a giant staircase to heaven. Noah and his family lived in the land and his children had children and those children had more children and then those children had even more until there were lots of people on the earth once more. Now back then everyone spoke exactly the same language. You could say hello to anyone and they knew what you meant. One day everyone was talking and they came up with an idea. Let's build ourselves a beautiful city to live in. It can be our home, and we'll be safe forever and ever. Then they had another idea. And let's build a really tall tower to reach up to heaven. And everyone will look up at us, and we'll look down on them. And then we'll know we are something. We'll be like God. We'll be famous and safe and happy, and everything will be all right. So they got to work. Brick by brick, the tower grew higher and higher. Higher and higher till it soared above the city, touching the sky. See what we can do with our very own hands? They were quite pleased with themselves. But God wasn't pleased with them. God could see what they were doing. They were trying to live without him. If they kept on like this, they would only destroy themselves. And God loved them too much to let that happen. One morning, they went to work as usual, but everything was different. God had given each person a completely different language. Suddenly, no one understood what anyone else was saying. It wasn't easy to work together after that. People were always quarreling and fighting, until at last they were all too cross to keep on building and just had to stop. After that, people scattered all over the world. This is the story of the Lord. This is too good. Thank you, Ben and Allie. I love it. Um, friends, uh, we have a very interesting, special turn of events this Sunday. We had one of our elders to preach today, and unfortunately, earlier this week, he got sick. You know, there's a flu going around. Thankfully, it's not just, it's not the COVID, but it's something else. Still the flu. Still, it's still around. Uh, so then Patrick, uh, so I look, no, no worries. I'll, I'll preach this Sunday. And then he also got a flu. So I was like, wow, and then they let me know too late to preach this Sunday, so it's okay, I'm not going to preach it. But we do have a plan B, which became our plan A, which is still fine. Um, Patrick is okay, though. He's feeling much better. He's just recovering at home because it's safer. Um, so we have a quick video today, about 15 minutes that we watch, just to dive deep into the Word today and continue with our teaching series, uh, Contending with Death. Uh, and I'll come after just to guide us in a time of response and reflection on what the word is saying. So enjoy. Morning church. Uh, I am so sad not to be with you all today. Uh, for those who I have not had the pleasure of meeting, I am Patrick Boatwright, the lead pastor here at Oaks. And uh, while it is usually the highlight of my week to gather together and worship, uh, the flu had other plans for me uh, this Sunday. But I look forward to being back 
and health and spirit uh, with you all next week. But uh, as this week is so pivotal in the teaching that we have been unpacking, I really wanted to just pop in to give you a quick insight uh, on what today's text has to teach us about the things we've been uncovering uh, in our current series, Contending with Death, as we've looked at evil, sin, and death, and how it plays out practically in our lives. But also a level deeper than that, we are in the middle of a threefold narrative arc of teaching, uh, which started with our deconstruction series. And that first phase was uh, really unpacking the stories that we've lived. How do we do that well? And in the middle now, what we've been doing is examining the stories that we're living And then after Easter, we're going to be looking at perceiving the stories that God wants to tell in and through us. We believe that we serve a narrative God. And as people of Oak Church Brooklyn, we believe in the power of stories. And so uh, a lot of what we do is based in and through narrative. And uh, as we have placed ourselves in this middle arc, in this contending with death, uh, we've done so through the Genesis narratives, through the stories uh, of God and the first people and God's plan for the earth and the world. And today is really important because we are looking at Genesis 11. And if you know anything about Genesis, Genesis uh, 1 through 50, uh, they're really two two narratives. Uh, The first chapters 1 through 11 uh, is about a God above the world and his relationship to it. And then in Genesis 12 through 50, God kind of comes out of the cosmos and really enters the world in a very personal and intimate way. But these first 11 chapters are setting up the cosmic problems of evil and sin and death. And so you can go back if you haven't already, if you've not been tracking with us, and, and recap uh, some of that, that overarching problems of sin and death and evil. But when we come into Genesis 11, where we are today, the Tower of Babel, uh, this really serves to highlight just exactly what the problem is between God and man. Now, I don't know uh, if any of you have heard this, but apparently uh, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars uh, this past Sunday. I, as a child of the 90s uh, and one who has been in bed sick all week, I have read every uh, thought piece and article that has been written, and there are a ton, uh, and I'm sure that you've maybe done the same or probably way tired of hearing about this, but there was one one article um, that I found really fascinating. It was a perspective that I had not considered in all of this uh, drama. And that was of Wanda Sykes. She, along with Regina Hall and Amy Schumer, were the actual hosts of the Oscars, which I actually didn't watch, um, but in high, was catching up on. And as she was talking about this event and what took place and, and how it impacted her, she talked about uh, Will Smith's apology to Chris Rock. And one of the things she noted was that in that apology, he had apologized to the Academy before, uh, to the people present, and to Chris, but he never actually apologized to the host, one of which she was. And she said this, which I found really interesting. She says, "Uh, I know he apologized to Chris, but I believe that we were the host. This is our house. We're inviting you in. We're going to take care of y'all tonight. Make sure you have a good time, she explained. And no one has apologized to us. 
And we worked really hard to put that show together. And as I kind of just reflected on that for a lot of reasons that stood out to me, here are these uh, three women who have come together uh, to put on this amazing show and, and to put a lot of work into hosting a beautiful evening for it all to be overshadowed uh, by a hasty act of violence. And as I was reflecting on that, it really helped frame exactly what we see here in Genesis 11, and more than that, what we see throughout these first 11 chapters of the Genesis narrative, where we see man's constant uh, breaking of relationship with God. And here's what I mean by that. So when you come into uh, Genesis 11, I'm going to read it for us here, uh, these first uh, four verses, and I want you to just kind of Try to spot the evil and the brokenness if you can. So chapter 11 starts like this. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, maybe you're like me, you read that and you don't really see what the big deal is. Actually, this sounds in a lot of ways like every dream we've been raised in. Uh, this is, in a way, the American dream. Uh, you have these people who uh, are, have, are in this plain, which means there aren't stones available. And so they want to set out to build a city. And so they have to get creative and industrious. And so they learn, they've taught themselves how to make bricks uh, to build a strong and steady structure. And then they've set out to make a name for themselves, right? This is pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, uh, becoming a titan of industry. Not just that, this is in a sense the New York City dream. Uh, a lot of us have come from afar uh, to come to this place exactly to make a name for ourselves and not just be scattered over uh, the face of the earth, but to really say we have come and we have made it uh, in this uh, grand city. And so is that not the, the American dream? Is that not the New York City dream? Is this not the dream of Dr. King? It starts in the beginning that there was a people of one language and common speech. And so you have all these people coming together and there's there isn't necessarily a hint of like racism or classism but they're actually coming together in unity to achieve something it seems like a really beautiful picture of collaboration and cooperation and inspiration and hope and determination and so what's the big deal what does this have to do with evil sin and death when you move on to the next chapter, or the next verses, verse 5, it says this, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. And that's why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Well, 
this sounds on its face like a very vindictive God. What's so wrong about people coming together to achieve the impossible? God himself says that if these people continue in this manner, there's nothing they can't do. So why would he ruin that? Well, I think we have to go back again and revisit all the stories uh, that we have covered over the last uh, six weeks. And we see that there is this common thing, both first that starts in the garden where Eve sees a fruit and says that if she takes it as the serpent tells her, that she will have no need for God, that she will have wisdom in and of herself. And she has this desire for this fruit that looks delicious. We have Cain, who in the face of, of having to offer a sacrifice to God, offers him his less fruits, and then in anger consumes and kills his brother, who then offers the best of his fruits to God. And then we go on and we see again and again uh, that the people time and again reject relationship with God and then use the gifts of God for their own pleasure. It's kind of like what Wanda Sykes is explaining in that quote, that in the midst of this, this grand thing that they had planned, this, this grand night that they had set out to, uh, to give for the folks in attendance and those watching, all of that was ruined in the face of someone rejecting the order that they had built and causing chaos and this breaking of relationships. And we see how this, this, this breaking of relationships spills out from our individual to interpersonal relationships to an entire institution. It all gets rocked uh, by this breaking down of good relationships. They're rejected. In the same way, humanity time and again rejects God. The creator who wants us to be in a relationship with him, well, we really don't have a need for him or we're constantly trying to find a way to not need him. And so we continually again and again push him aside, saying that we will make a name for our own selves apart from you. And we can see the deep frustration this can stir up, particularly in a God who desires to give us the fullness of life, who desires to give us the fullness of humanity, who knows very well the purposes for which we were created. And it's in this place, in the rejection of relationship, in the rejection of doing life with God, that we find the full uh, horror of sin. It breaks things down and God cannot have it. He cannot sustain it because he knows that if we continue in that pattern, what will truly end up happening is death because we were made to function at our fullness in relationship with the triune God. We were made in his image and God in his very essence is three and one made for community and made for relationship. And so when we think about sin, we can oftentimes think about evil actions. It's easy to see the slapping of, uh, of a person as an evil act. It's easy to see the, the stealing of, uh, you know, resources that are ours. It's easy to see the, the unjust systems that we place up to 
oppressed people uh, and groups of people. But sometimes it can be hard to see that even in good things like collaboration and cooperation, even in things where we have peace, they too can be sin. Why? Not because they in themselves are bad. No, there can be very good things. But when we do these good things without relationship with Christ, when we do things uh, that are good in rejection of the God who gives us good things, who gives us the power to sustain good things, well, then we have found ourselves in sin. We found ourselves in a path to death because it is God who sustains life. And every good thing ultimately provides a pathway and a course for life. This is why uh, the Apostle John, in his one of his final epistles, says this in 1 John. He says, uh, do not love the world. 1 John 2, verse 15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is what God knows. This is why he scatters the people of Babel. Because their desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. Together we will build a tower in our city that will make a name for ourselves. This, he knows, is based on desires that will eventually pass away along with the world. And so he wants them instead to work and to build, to to conquer and subdue and cultivate the earth, but to do it under his will, to do it in relationship with him, because what is from him will abide forever. And so as we just take time today, and as you go forward from this place to reflect on your life, to examine the life that you're living, I would ask you to examine what does sin look like in your life? Have you allowed yourself to be swayed into the opinion that everything you do is good and because you have peace and desire that it must be then altogether holy? That is not always the case. Peace and desire does not equal communion with God. The people as they built their temple were very ecstatic. They were very hopeful. They had a desire to achieve, and they were achieving, and yet they were doing so out of relationship. So where in your life have you rejected the relationship of God? And what does it look like to lay down even the very good things in your life, let alone the bad things in your life that are producing death? Where does it look like to lay all things down to enter into relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And out of that relationship, allow your works and your achievements and your hopes to prosper and to come to life. Because in that place, we will begin to build things and live lives and be people who abide forever. 
Look forward to being with you next week. Uh, take care and God bless.